You're listening to Liberty Buzzard with Dustin Hammett and Thomas Umstead Jr. Liberty Buzzard episode 25. We've made it to a good 2-5 or a quarter uh, of the way to 100. We've earned ourselves each a quarter. I'm Thomas Umstead Jr. I'm Dustin Hammett. And welcome to the show where we picket the news along the highway of American culture, cleaning up the highways of American discourse. And uh, interesting story, uh, LeBron James is thinking about running for president, according to the Business Insider. Dustin, your thoughts? Uh, It scares me to death, Thomas. To tell you the truth, it scares me to death. Um, You know, I look at our current president, Donald Trump, and while I support... A lot of the stuff he does, I appreciate how he thinks outside of the box and how he's willing to act against pomp and circumstance. And he's willing to go against the traditional way of doing business to shake things up. I think that's needed and I think it's good. However, you know, going in, his entire qualifications for being president were the fact that he was theoretically a real estate tycoon, a business owner, but more importantly, he was a reality TV show famous guy. So, you know, we're, I, I didn't support President Trump largely, A, because of the way he acted. I didn't think he acted very presidential in debates. That's why one of the reasons he didn't have my support, but also because I thought it was ridiculous, just ridiculous to have somebody with zero qualifications in the highest office of our land. So now I think Donald Trump has opened the floodgates for people who are famous and have no bona fides other than just being famous to turn around and start talking about running for president, whether it's LeBron James, whose sole qualification is being really good at basketball, Oprah Winfrey, who arguably might have a few more credentials just because she does actually run a business. But, you know, really, she's just famous for being famous. And then uh, who's the other one? Oh, yeah, Alec Baldwin, who is uh, hilarious on TV, but to my knowledge has zero credentials or qualifications beyond that. So it reminds me of the movie Idiocracy. Uh, where the president is voted based on a popular of uh, uh, just being popular. I think, you know, there's, I can't, it's been a long time since I watched that movie, but there's like some wrestling smackdown thing or something. That's how it become elected president. Some such nonsense. And yeah, it might be hyperbole, but there's a little bit of truth within the hyperbole. And it scares me to death that that's where our nation could be headed. What do you think, Thomas? Well, Donald Trump is the first president to ever have been in a professional wrestling ring. As far as I know. Uh, he didn't do it as president, as far as I know, but he definitely did it before. He had his head shaved in a WWE, I think, event several years yep. ago. He's trying, yeah, he yeah, was he trying to undo the myth that he was wearing a toupee. So he had a whole room of screaming drunk people shouting while he had his head shaved. It was uh, quite the sensation. I didn't watch it, although I did see commercials for it on television, I'm embarrassed to say. Um, but it, it's actually surprising to me that this hasn't happened sooner. You know, all of life is middle school uh, and, you know, the stakes just get higher. And when you're in middle school and you're voting for somebody, you're voting for class president based primarily off popularity. Who's the most popular person? And when you elect your elected officials via popular vote, you vote for the most popular people. And the challenge with rising through the ranks politically, so you start off as a state representative and then you're a state senator and then you become a governor and then you run for United States Senate and then you run for president, let's say. The kind of a classic path. Um, or you jump straight from governor to president. The downside of that is that you had to make hard decisions that whole time. Decisions that were not popular for everyone. And you're building up 
enemies this whole time of people who dislike you and you've got these like ropes pulling you back of the various people who suffered because your decision helped some other group that they weren't in or they disagreed with your decision for one reason or another. Now, let's say you're a Hollywood actor and you've only been in popular movies and people have forgotten your unpopular movies. You know, you're a Tom Cruise or a Tom Hanks or one of the Chris's, right? We have like a dozen popular Chris's in Hollywood. Um, And when you're that, you're not having to make the hard decisions. You're not making people angry with you. You don't have those ropes pulling you back, so to speak. And you're more famous. Not it, It's often shocking how few people know who the vice president of the United States is. I remember when Obama was president, they, I would watch these videos of people going around and they were like, who's the vice president of the United States? And they would just draw a blank. They had no idea. And much less, who's the speaker of the house? Who's the Senate majority leader? Who's the Senate minority leader? How many members of the Supreme Court can you name? People don't know these things. And, and so somebody, let's say a Senate majority leader is running for president. Uh, they have the enemies who remember them, but your average Americans have no idea. And if they're running against somebody who's famous for playing basketball or famous for being in movies, uh, then it's a it's a real challenge. And what's fascinating is that Hollywood has been measuring this for a long time. They have a uh, score that every single celebrity has, and it, uh, it's called the Q score. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but they survey a block of people. I think it's a thousand people, and then they ask them, "Tom Hanks, have you heard of Tom Hanks?" And then they ask, um, "Do you like?" Tom Hanks <laughs> and they get the positive <laughs> Q rating. And then they ask the same question, uh, either the same people or different people. I'm not sure. And they're like, are you familiar with Tom Hanks? Do you dislike Tom Hanks? Uh, Cause you know, there's some celebrities that people like vehemently dislike and um, regular celebrities tend to have very high known Q ratings. And I saw an interesting report online that compared like TV famous people, like traditional celebrities against internet celebrities. And what's interesting is how um, different those scores are. Uh, so Adele, you know, if, has an 82% uh, familiarity rating. So 82% of people have heard of Adele and 45% of people like Adele, which is really, really high. That's Tom Hanks level numbers. Um, but th- Did you say 45%? Yeah. She has a 45% favorability. So- there's a 82% of people like or know her 45% of of those 82% like no, it's, her it's, and that's high. No, it's 45% of the same 1000 or uh, of the same 100 uh, 100. So for, for every um 100 people, 82 people uh know who she is and 45 of those people like her. So presumably everyone who likes her also knows who she is and so you can do the math to figure out people who are neutral. So and and uh, so this isn't her disfavorability. Her disfavorability, I'd guess, is probably in the single digits. Everybody likes Adele. There's a great Saturday Night Live about this actually, where they're at uh, Christmas <laughs> and they're arguing politics, of and somebody is. puts on "Hello" and everyone like is peaceful again, and they all like that song. And then anyway, it's, it's a fascinating song, uh, little sketch. But if you compare that to say Pentatonics, Pentatonics has an awareness of just twenty four. Uh, of 24, maybe I'm misinterpreting these scores, but they have a favorability of 30. So they actually have a higher favorability rating than a 
uh, awareness rating, which I'm not sure how that's even possible or if this is correct. Uh, but the, but all of these internet celebrities, and I'll put a link to this in the show notes. It's on variety.com. The internet celebrities, their awareness is way lower, but they're, the people who are aware of them are very favorable towards them. It's a much tighter clustering of like and awareness because people have more control over what they consume online. And which is interesting because traditional celebrities are effectively being forced on people. <laughs> so why so many people are aware of them without liking them. And this Q and it, I think it's true that the person with the highest Q score often wins the presidential race, uh, you know, especially your, uh, the highest awareness is I think the case with Trump. He had very high negatives. He had very high positives, but he had almost a 100% familiarity. Like everyone already knew who Trump was before he, ran. He was just very effective at getting his name out there. And name ID is a big piece of this. And uh, also, he was able to make people excited either for or against him, which got people out to vote. Wow. Um, so do they run these same type? So you mentioned the the Q score is something they do in Hollywood to, I guess, uh, help them analyze their business decisions in terms of shows and stuff like that. I assume that's what it's for. Do they use this same system in the political world? Yes. I don't know if the specifically the Q score is used in the political world, but there are measurements that are very similar to it that are definitely used in the political world. And the formula is not that complicated. Like, um, you know, the formula is on Wikipedia. It's not like this is some like secret algorithm for us assessing the popularity of a celebrity. It's just pull a thousand people in your target group and ask them, have you heard of so-and-so? Do you like so-and-so? And what they'll do is they'll, you know, ask, you know, maybe dozens of different celebrity names in a survey and just being, um, it's a big deal just to be asked. So just to be in the survey is a big deal in Hollywood because you'll, you're not going to have a Q score if the survey, if no survey company is willing to find out how popular you are, but it is a part of a casting decision. So if you're making a big Marvel film, let's say, and you've got a new superhero, you're about to make a Miss Marvel film and you want to cast somebody as Miss Marvel, one of the things you're looking at is, um, do uh, is this celebrity famous enough? Are they popular enough? Are they going to draw people to the theater? Although Marvel perhaps is a bad example because the Marvel name is so strong. That's what draws people. And Marvel's actually been really effective at working with kind of unknown actors and making them famous. Um, like the Chris Pratt's of the world. <laughs> yeah. Like the Chris Pratt's of the world. I mean, he was, he was kind of cult famous, but yeah. once he, you know, saved the galaxy the first time, suddenly he's like yeah. legit famous. Although to be fair, he also fought dinosaurs. I think that same summer. Did he really? Uh, so he's no, I, maybe it was a couple summers later. I'm, I'm getting my. He, he got confused. his start. Chris Pratt got his start in uh, Parks and Rec, didn't he? Yeah, he started in Parks and Rec, and then he did Guardians of the Galaxy, and I yeah. think he did um, Jurassic Park a few years after that. Yeah, and then he did that. Uh, he did that one movie with J Law. Yeah, they were. They were, uh, wait, he did. A, See, but this yeah. is why celebrities are so good at running for office, potentially in this new century that we're heading into, because everybody knows because them. They're so. F- and they're fun to talk about, right? You yeah, can talk about true. celebrities and you can talk about Marvel and, and no one's getting offended, right? Whereas if we, if let's say Chris Pratt was instead, you know, governor of Tennessee, well, suddenly just by saying Tennessee, you already have feelings towards Tennessee. 
either positive or negative. Oh, I hate those kinds of people who live in Tennessee. Oh, I love the kind of people who live in Tennessee. They're true Americans, right? Which is you true, don't even but know just ridiculous. A, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you don't even know if he's a Democrat or Republican. Now, you may have some assumptions like, oh, Tennessee, he's probably one of those Republicans. Or, oh, Tennessee, he's probably one of those. Well, Tennessee probably is one of those Republicans. But you never know with governors. Um, but th- suddenly that conversation is harder to have. And as we lose the ability to have civil discourse with people we disagree with in this country, we increase the likelihood that the people that rise to the surface are not civil servants. They are celebrities uh, who are qualified at nothing but being interesting and getting the media to talk about them. And you're talking about idiocracy and using a reality TV show to select who the president is. And that's not entirely what, unlike what our election season is like, you know, you, it's, it's very much reality TV show, um, styled. It's just 24 seven of this reality TV show. And Trump definitely approached the debates like a reality TV show. He wasn't trying to win the debate specifically. He was trying to win the game of the reality show. And so it was what people were talking about after his debate with Hillary was not what he said. It was how he was standing and how he was looming over Hillary and making Hillary look small and weak and timid and you know, th- he totally changed kind of the nature of it. And he approached it very much how somebody who understands reality TV would approach it. And uh, this may be the future. This may be what we're going to see a whole lot more of. I think of all of the names I've heard surface, the person who has the highest likelihood of defeating Trump in a, a presidential election in 2020 is Oprah. I know she doesn't really want to run. Uh, she's under a lot of pressure to run. Um, but she has a really high Q score and, you know, and a very high likability. People are either neutral or they like Oprah. Now, the fact that she said she might run against Trump, suddenly Trump people are negative against her, but the Trump people were never going to vote for her at any point. No, yeah, <laughs> but it's no, not going to happen. I think it can be said that, that Oprah picked our last several presidents. So she famously kissed Bush on her show. Um, she, um, supported Obama. Uh, you know, and refused to have Palin on, even though she's the first one running for vice president in a really long time. And she did an interview with Trump that went viral. Uh, now, the interview with Trump was like in the early 90s, but Trump was talking about running for president in the early 90s on Oprah. And I think she even, um, you know, did things to sponsor uh, Bill Clinton early. And so that's a lot of power that she wields, right? If Oprah decides to shun you, your chance of winning is way lower. (laughs) You can't get on Oprah. You're not going to be president. And if somebody with that kind of power decides to run for president, you know, the high priestess of cosmic humanism, uh, or maybe just humanism in general, if she decides to run, I think she'd have a good chance to win. Uh, but why would she want to run? Like if I were Oprah, why would I want to be president of the United States? I'm already a billionaire. I already have everything I want. I already have incredible influence over culture and society. Uh, running in many ways doesn't seem like for president doesn't seem like it would do me any good if I were already Oprah. Uh, so I totally understand her dis disliking of running <laughs> because, uh, you know, Thomas, there's, you know, there's that, I can't say it called an old saying, but there's this, the, the thought, and I think you're familiar with it, that the kinds of people that want to be president of the United States are the exact types of people we do not want to be president of the United States. I think some of our most successful presidents arguably did not want to be president of the United States. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the types of the types of power seekers that rise to that level are the types of uh, arguably the types of Machiavellian 
uh, cutthroat politicians that are possibly the most dangerous. When you have an ego big enough to fill the role of, of president, it uh, becomes dangerous. You know, Trump, he was mega rich. He had, you know, po- theoretically everything materially that he could possibly want. He still wanted to be president. And one wonders why did Trump want be president of the United States. And, uh, and maybe, maybe, maybe he just did it because for business reasons, he didn't actually think he won. You know, we, we, we have all, uh, dis- we discussed that I think in the past. Um, but at a certain point you start to run, you're going through this process. You're going to have to want it a little bit. And why does someone like Donald Trump want to run for president? That, that, that scares me. So sock, Socrates actually pondered this very question. So you have waded into a topic that has been discussed amongst philosophers for a long time. And Socrates uh, in Plato's Republic was pushing this idea of uh, philosopher kings and having just men who rule for the benefit of the governed and not for the benefit of themselves. Uh, But Socrates recognized, and now I should say it's been 15 years since I've studied Socrates, so my memory may be a little rusty here. Um, but uh, Socrates realized and admitted if somebody is running the government for the benefit of the governed and not for the benefit of the leader, why would they want to run? Right. How do you get a just man uh, who's only going to use power for the benefit of the whole and is not going to enrich himself by taking up leadership? How do you incentivize him to run? Uh, because he the time he spends running the city is time he's not spending or managing his own affairs and benefiting himself doing, you know, whatever he's doing, if he's a merchant or a farmer or whatever. And Socrates's answer was the only, you know, appropriate motivation is to ha- to punish him for not running. You have to punish him for depriving the population of his wisdom and his virtue and how do you punish somebody for not running well the appropriate punishment is to have himself to be ruled by a man less just than himself (laughs) and uh that's his punishment and the more unjust his leaders are uh, and the more he's, you know, suffering under unjust leadership, the more incentivized he will be to run to remove the punishment of having to be under unjust leadership. And that's how we get General James Mattis to be our next president. <laughs> just yeah, saying, so, just saying. So, so who should we punish for not running for president? You know, who who are the people who would be uh, good presidential um, picks? And and I found that to be fascinating because. Um, you know, and, and I don't, honestly, I don't know why uh, Trump uh, wanted to be president. Um, I know why Obama wanted to be president. I, I feel like Obama actually, of all of the presidents recently, probably had one of the clearest um, motivations. I don't think this was his sole motivation, but being the first African-American president is a big deal. Like if you're a, a, an African-American child and you're growing up and you see, oh, my goodness, I could become president someday. It's one thing to be told that like in school, oh, anyone can be president. But it's entirely different to look up and see, oh, my goodness, our president right now is African-American. Like that changes the lives of every other African-American in the country in a really positive way or every school child, especially. And I feel like that is like a really clear motivation. And if I was in his situation, that would I think would be enough motivation 
all on its own, not necessarily to win, but to run. And, you know, Obama had a political agenda as well, of course, but I, I feel like that was his why, or, or at least that's the why that he portrayed um, to the public. I don't know. Like, why did Bush run going back? Why did Bush run? I don't, maybe because it was the family business. <laughs> like, I don't, yeah, I don't, the, I don't really remember. Like, I think that's what it boils down to. I felt like he didn't have any choice. He just had to. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't remember why, you know, what Bush's why was. Uh, Hillary had two whys, the true why and the fake why. The fake why was that she wanted to be the first woman president. And I do believe to her credit that that was part of her why. But I think the real why was that she just had this insatiable lust for power. <laughs> and Yeah, I think that... that's, I think, every, but the thing about it is she's so transparent about it. You know, I think that's what part of the thing that costs her. She has got this insatiable lust for power and everybody knows it. Yeah, it, it, there's this there's this concept that my wife talks about of somebody trying too hard. It's like, oh, you know, they were trying too hard and it makes her feel uncomfortable. I don't really get that. It's like, why wouldn't somebody want to try too hard? But I feel like Hillary definitely kind of gave across that perception. She's trying too hard. She wants it too much. And uh, she was the perfect person for Trump to run against <laughs> because um Whatever it was that Trump did, Hillary did it worse. You know, she Hillary sold nuclear weapons to Russia. Don't forget, um, or nuclear material to Russia. Everyone seems to forget that. Uh, and the Russians, I believe, are giving money to her charity. I mean, whatever Trump's doing with the Russians uh, or not doing with the Russians, Hillary has done or not done just as bad things. That doesn't justify Trump. To be clear, I'm not doing what aboutism here. But I'm just saying, if you're going to have to run against somebody, Hillary was the ideal one to run against. She's not this beacon of virtue and truth and like um, Cincinnatus level, you know, civic virtue. That's not what she represents. And so compared to that, Trump, uh, you know, looked a lot better. But uh, that's enough Sunday, Monday morning quarterbacking of the election. Uh, I don't think LeBron James is going to actually run. I think he's just dropping hints because it's, you know, boosting his Q score. He's getting featured in Business Insider, which normally is not a news publication that would cover the ins and outs of LeBron James, um, you know, which might help him get some more endorsement deals. Uh, I do think that we're going to see more people like Trump running, though. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Mark Cuban didn't run. Mark Cuban is a businessman and a celebrity who's got a reality TV show that's about business. Uh, a lot of the other guys on that show, by the way, are not actually Americans and can't run for president. So I think Mr. Fantastic and the friendly guy on the edge of Shark Tank are both Canadians. So they're um, disqualified. Um the FUBU guy might run. Anyway, enough speculation about that. Uh, Q score, it matters. Uh, who you attend, uh, give your attention to, it matters. And it affects potentially who your leaders are, not just who your celebrities are. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, I don't see great things happening to our nation if, if it continues to go down this road. But uh, maybe I'm just in a sky is falling mood today. I don't know, Thomas. It's August. It's hot. I, I'm just in a bad mood, I guess. I, w- I will say, in, in, um, so for some optimism, I think that people being, uh, people in general and in mass are a lot smarter uh, when they vote than you give them credit for. Uh, there's a great book called The Wisdom of Crowds. It may be a good book to discuss. Oh, but yes, um, I'm with the that book. Uh, premise of The Wisdom of Crowds is uh, it was inspired by a study that was done 100 years ago. Uh, you go to these fairs, you know, county fair, and they'd have a bull uh, there at the fair, and everyone would guess the weight of the bull. And whoever get uh, or the cow or whatever, whoever guessed the correct weight of the cow 
would win the cow and they'd take it home, which if it's a fair full of farmers winning a free cow, that's, you know, a lot of fun. And, you know, it's a fun, fair game, right? You've probably done the same thing at a birthday party counting jelly beans. But uh, the, what the scientists did is they got the ledger of everyone's guesses and he averaged everyone's guesses. And the average of all of the farmers guessing on the cow was more accurate than any one of the individual farmers. <laughs> so in aggregate, they were smarter than any one of them was individually. And there are a lot of things in life where this is the case, uh, where the uh, crowd itself is wiser, actually, than any of the individuals. And that belief that the crowd is wiser is a foundational belief that is supporting you know, the idea of democracy and of democratic rule. Uh, there needs to be checks on the power of the people, and it's why we don't live in an absolute democracy. We have Republican elements. We have elements of an aristocracy in uh, our Constitution, and we have elements of a monarchy, right? So we have a Senate, which is an aristocratic function, and we have a presidency, which is a monarchical function, but they're all held in check with each other, and it's really a beautiful system. Uh, there was a, a great debate um, in Persian history. They had just uh, killed their king. And they're having a discussion as to what kind of government they're going to create. And they, uh, Herodotus uh, shares this in his book, in the histories. And they're giving the pros and the cons of monarchy, aristocracy, and democracy. And they had this great little speech, and it's captured. And, you know, the problem with, you know, democracy is that it tends to be very corrupt, and you have the basis of people ruling, blah, blah, blah. And the problem with aristocracy is that it creates infighting. They, they gave all these reasons, and they gave the problems with monarchy, and they decided to go with monarchy because from their perspective, it had the lowest downsides and the highest upsides. And they set Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, no, it wasn't. I forget which uh, Persian uh, they set up as the next guy. I think it may have been Darius. Uh, but... What was interesting about our founding fathers is that they went through basically that same discussion and about the pros and the cons of democracy, aristocracy, and monarchy. And instead of picking one, they picked all three and they put them in conflict with each other on purpose. <laughs> the checks, checks and power, checks and balances. And I will say the system is working really well. Uh, and the system is forcing people like Trump to be the best kind of president they can be. The fact that Trump can't just do whatever he wants, the fact that he has to work with the aristocracy in the Senate is making him make better decisions. The fact that he has to work with the people is making him make better decisions. And we really do have a really solid system. And even when you have somebody with demagogue-like tendencies, those tendencies are held in check by the other um, branches of government. And it's, the, you know, our forefathers saw Trump coming. They crafted a, a constitution specifically uh, to, <laughs> you know, manage a personality like Trump. And this is the like one of the first times it's really been put to a test. And I have been just super impressed with how well our institutions have stood up to this new presidency. You know, the, the fifth estate has done great. Um, you know, the Congress and the Senate is doing great. Uh, and you know, it's, it's, it's holding, right? We don't have an emperor. We don't have a Fuhrer. We just have a president still, you know, even though he comes in with this huge sweep of popular support. And I think that that is a beautiful thing. So I am optimistic for the future, uh, in general and in the long run. <laughs> so I will say, Thomas, that I agree with you. Our system uh, is an incredible system. And I see the same thing that you see is that our system is holding up very well 
to uh, what? How was the what was the phrase you used? Someone who uh, has demagogue tendencies. I think it's a it's a it's a great way to phrase it. Um, so yes, our system is great for those reasons. Uh, going back to your original point, which is you know wisdom and crowds. Yeah, there's wisdom and crowds, uh, but there's it's it's also very I won't say it's easy, but doable to manipulate on a large scale. I mean that's why they go from being a crowd to being a mob and and in a enraged mob or an irrational mob is an extremely dangerous thing, which like you said, is the reason we don't have direct democracy, why we have a representative Republic and why that representative Republic even has checks on it as well. We're a nation of laws. So yes, you're, you're, I I do support what you said and the fact that there's wisdom in crowds. However, I would temper that uh, because I've also seen whether in a small scale um, as a police officer or even to a larger scale, that I mean, you look at Nazism, people, Nazism, or even uh, communism, uh, Maoist communism, uh, Stalinist, uh, Leninist communism, socialism, whatever you want to call it. Uh, it, it they, they can be manipulated to a act in a way that they never would to begin with, or at the very least in fear for their own safety as individuals remain silent. So, yes, there's wisdom in crowds, but there is also great danger in group things. So it does go both ways. There is the yin and the yang to that. But where I agree with you is that uh, our system is beautifully crafted, beautifully crafted. Um, and, and you know what was, is striking about the Constitution, Thomas, is really how short it is. Even the ta- the, the federal Constitution upon which the, 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 the document upon which uh, the fabric of our nation is built, even with the amendments, is a very, very short document, which makes it in my opinion, extremely beautiful because, you know, you could really, if you wanted to design, you know, quote unquote, the perfect government, you can go into pages and pages and pages of, uh, of, of, of how to do this and how to do that. But our founding fathers, you know, when, when they, when they, when they designed our constitution, did a beautiful job in doing it on one scrap of paper. It was a big scrap of paper, but a scrap of paper with small handwriting, but a scrap of paper nonetheless. Nonetheless, and I think it's it's worked out remarkably well. So I agree with you there. All right. Well, this is now two episodes in a row that we're tempted to end the show by playing the national anthem. Uh, we do want to hear uh, what you think uh, on this episode 25 of the Liberty Buzzard. Feel free to drop us a line at libertybuzzard.com forward slash 025. I'm Thomas Umstead Jr. I'm Dustin Hammett. And you've been listening to Liberty Buzzard.